25 years. 25 years, quarter of a century. Like some of us, literally adults sat in this room right now, were not born. Like, like if you had a five-year-old, they're 30 now. Like if you rocked up at that first service with a five-year-old, like they're a 30-year-old now. 25 years is like a quarter of a century. It's pretty intense, right? It's, it's like, wow. And, and then there's that level of us that, that it's like, did, was it really 25 years? Cam just spoke to me just before the start of service, which he opened for us this morning and said, wow, it went fast. Like 25 years went quickly. And maybe like, you know, some of us, it's like, well, I wasn't born. Some of us, we were in different parts of the world. Some of us, it's just staring in the mirror going, what happened in the last 25 years? <laughs> you know, it's like everything changed. I was looking at some pictures of me 25 years ago. Uh, I, was, I was five, um, sorry, 15. And... Um, <laughs> I, uh, and I thought, let me show you guys some pictures of me 15 years, 25 years ago. And then I looked at those pictures and thought, no, I will never show them to anybody ever. Uh, and then that got me thinking actually about, about the kind of big craze this year. Uh, this summer, perhaps, you know, you're, you're just kind of landing in from summer. You remember, we all got a little obsessed over FaceApp this summer, uh, which is this app that allows us to look 25 years in the future. Like, what am I going to look like in 25 years? Time. Did anybody do this? Anybody tried a bit of face app? Like, you know, it, it's like, and then some people thought it would be really fun to sort of turn it on some well-known people and see what they're going to look like. Um, so when they make the next Matrix in 2040, uh, this is what Keanu Reeves is going gonna, is gonna to look like. Uh, the Rock helps us see what life beyond the Stampeders is really like. Britney Spears, um, she's keeping her hair color, so that's good for her. Um, Barack Obama uh, is perhaps showing that retirement is not easy for uh, a president, um, but you know, perhaps time uh, is a little more kind to him than his successor. Um, <laughs> and then my own personal favorite, Justin Bieber. <laughs> Now, I didn't do this, I didn't do this app myself. I actually did, I have yet to, to turn it on myself, largely because I prefer my terror to be a surprise. Uh, and, uh, and, and also because uh, people have been telling me for years that I basically just look like my father. Uh, he was 25 when he had me, and, and I've had years of this. I'll let you make up your own mind as to whether or not we look the same. Uh, we can't see it, but everybody else tells us that that is, uh, that is exactly the way things are. I don't actually, I don't really want FaceApp. What I want is unFaceApp, right? I want, a, I, want a, I want an app that allows me to video call you and look like 25 years ago, like some sort of app that could reverse time rather than advance time. And I wonder how many of us that would be true of. We get a little nostalgic 25 years into a journey, like nostalgia starts to, to take over a little more and, and we start thinking about oh, how we're things back then and how did I look back then? How was my family back then? What was life like? What was society like? I didn't, hadn't made that decision or this decision. Things were a little different. Have you noticed we can spend a whole evening without any trouble at all, sat in the company of the right people, just talking about the way things were. How were things back then. Hard to believe it, but Christians do this sometimes as well. There are Christians in the world who kind of think that church was better back then, that the songs were better back then, that the, that the sermons were better or shorter back then. There's, it's easy for us to kind of live in that sort of nostalgia. 
In, in 587 BC, the people of Israel were invaded and captured and taken to another land, which I know you thought was, of course, going to be the story that we turned to just now. You were all expecting it. Uh, here you have this group of people, and a selection of the Israelites are dragged away to this land called Babylon. It's a foreign culture. It's a foreign land. It's foreign customs. It's a foreign religion. It's foreign people. And unsurprisingly, the people of Israel who were captured and taken away had one thought in their mind. We've got to get back. We've got to get back to the way things were a few decades ago. We've got to get back to the place that we were in. We've got to get back to our own people, to our own customs, our own culture, to our own God. We've got to get back. And so-called prophets start to appear, and these prophets claim to be pronouncing what God is saying, and the message that they're proclaiming is, yes, you've got to get back. You've got to get back to the way things were. The way things were was better. The way things were was the way things are supposed to be. So we've got to work really hard to get back there. But while this is going on in 587, and, and in the following years, another prophet appears on the scene. And this prophet is introduced to us as somebody who does actually speak the way that God thinks. And this prophet's name is Jeremiah. And Jeremiah has a different idea for how these people in exile should behave. It's a different concept of what they should do. This concept is rooted in their identity and their purpose as a people. An identity and a purpose that they're finding easy to forget. So Jeremiah writes a letter to these people in exile. I happen to have a copy of the letter. So let me read it to you. In Jeremiah chapter 29, Jeremiah begins the letter, and let's just read a portion of it this morning. It says, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons. Give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. So the people of Israel... There's this group of them in exile. They're captives. They're not free. They're not where they want to be. And exile is not a lot of fun. You see, because for so many of us, where we're from and who we're with are fundamental to our identity. If you take us away from the people that we love and the people that we're like, and you take us away from the place that we live and the place that we know, we find ourselves dislocated. We find ourselves uprooted. And it's called culture shock, where we just don't know where we fit. And this is Israel's story at this point in our text. That where are we and who are we? Because if we're not there, and if we're not with those people, then what type of people are we? Things have been violent. We've been ripped from our homes, and now we don't fit. What should we do? Should we assimilate and just be like everybody else? Should we become Babylonians now? Or should we plan some sort of rebellion and escape and try and get our way back to Jerusalem? And in the midst of this question, they get this letter from the prophet Jeremiah. I've been thinking about this letter, and I've decided it's not the letter that I would want. 
So if you can kind of immerse yourself into the story, imagine that you had been ripped from your home, taken far away, and captured and kept against your will. And a letter came to you from God. What kind of letter would you want? I've decided that I would want God to go full Liam Neeson. All right? So I want the, oh, a letter has come from Jeremiah. What does the Lord say? This is what the Lord Almighty says. I have spent a lifetime gathering a specific set of skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. I don't have much money, I won't pay a ransom, but I will find you and I will kill you. That's what I want from God at a moment like this. If you're gonna follow creator of the universe, then God, come and get us out of this mess. And, and you know, I don't wanna live there and I'm imagining God, he's coming through the boat. Now, now I'm just channeling Taken. Let's uh, stay back. But this is not the letter they get. They don't get this letter, instead, they get a different letter, a way more shocking letter. The first thing that's shocking about the letter, and perhaps you heard it just as we read that small snippet of this text this morning, that God owns up to the fact that he has placed them there. Twice during the bit that we read, he says, I have carried you into exile. Or, you know, we thought we were being kidnapped. We thought that, that things were going badly and we've ended up here. But now God's saying, hey, wait a minute, maybe I have some purpose in this. Maybe this is according to something else that's going on. And then more shocking for the people who are in exile is what God then asks them to do. But before we talk about what it is that God asks them to do, perhaps we need to ask the question, why are we even talking about this? Why are we talking about some people centuries ago that were, that were taken into exile by a, by a world power that doesn't any longer exist? We see, because at some essential level, the language of exile speaks to all of us every day. Because the state of being in exile is, is essentially the state of being where you don't want to be. Now, Israel's an extreme case of this, where they're ripped from home and they're ripped from narrative and they're ripped from culture and custom and religion. But all of us can, can relate to the sort of existential stress that's created by not being where you want to be. If you were to look at your life, just we're talking retrospectively about 25 years this morning, but think about your life in all of its wholeness, whether it's shorter or longer than 25 years, are you where you want to be in every area of your life? Or are you like everybody else, where there's bits of life haven't quite gone the way you imagined? There's people you thought would be with you that are not with you. There's people that you thought would be journeying alongside you that, you're, that are not journeying alongside you anymore. There are jobs that you thought you'd have that you don't have, financial positions you thought you'd be in that you're not in, family life that you expected to be one way, and it's quite different. And most of us throughout our lives encounter this sort of stress of exile, of, of being forced into situations that we don't want. Perhaps it starts at birth, when we exit a womb and find ourselves having to learn how to live. And just as we're mastering being amongst our parents, we find ourselves exiled to school, and then exiled to jobs, and then exiled to different places around the world. Life is constantly moving us and changing us. And I've yet to meet anyone in my life who can tell me everything about my life is exactly where I'd want it to be. Because everything's always changing, not just our bodies, but our emotions, our relationships, our cultures, our communities, our governments, our values. Everything's constantly changing. And the question for the people of Israel is perhaps all of our questions, where is home? When you're dislocated, even in just one area of your life, where is the safe space? Where is the place that you'd rather be? Invariably, it's backwards. 
before this particular decision, before this particular conversation, before this particular thing happened. And we can often end up in our lives feeling like strangers in our own story, strangers in the part of the story that we're in. To be moved from your own home, from your own culture, from your own customs, from your own way of being. As you might imagine, I can't relate to that at all. People say to me on a regular basis, like, what do you notice that's different about Canada? And I, and I feel like it's not socially acceptable to say everything. <laughs> but that's what it sometimes feels like. If you've moved even from one province to another, you've noticed that people think differently, act differently, behave differently. And we have to navigate that. But what about the deeper existential stresses about that? When things change in a different way. That we find ourselves with a job that we didn't really plan to have, in a company that we didn't really want to work in, or perhaps the house that wasn't really the house that we'd hoped for, and the street that kind of it's close to where we thought we might be, but maybe it's not quite perfect. Our marriage isn't quite the marriage we anticipated, and maybe there's not the number of marriages, or maybe there is no marriage, but my relationships, when I planned them when I was younger, it definitely didn't look like this, we might say to ourselves. Or our kids aren't quite the kids we hoped we'd have. <laughs> you know when you're trying to make a serious point and <laughs> or our parents aren't quite the parents that we hoped we'd have that it's not quite the way it's worked out that it's, the things aren't just quite right we imagined it would be like this and then it's actually like that if you could hit rewind if you could go backwards in the tape if you could jump back to a few earlier chapters what would you do differently how would you like things to be if you were really in control of your own life, what would it look like? And then how would you respond if you were like the people of Israel? To all of a sudden hear from God that I brought you to where you are right now. That painful journey, that exile, that sense of not being where you're trying to be, that sense of not wanting to be in the place you currently are. And then you hear that God says, what if I brought you here? What if you're in a place right now that's part of what God's up to and what God is doing? And then what if God said this to you? Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Do you hear what God's saying? Like these are exiled people. They're probably living in tent city. They're, they're, they're living in their own sort of context which is by nature temporary. Because we're going home, like we're, we're going to head home. Our plan is to get out of here. We don't want to be here, and therefore we don't plan to stay here. Think about the trauma in your own life, the situations in your own sort of well-being that you find yourself somewhere that's wrong, and immediately we start the fight. How do I get out of here? How do I fix this, rewind that, correct this, so that I don't have to be where I am right now in this job or in this marriage or in this street or in this relationship? And then God comes to these people and says, build a house here. Plant a garden here. The terrifying thought of what God is saying to them is that you're going to be here for a while. That actually you're not getting out of here quickly. That here is the place that you're going to be. And then he says, marry. Have sons and daughters. There's more permanence coming. Many of you would know and relate to the fact that the moment that you find yourself in a relationship of permanence, the moment you find yourself with children, decision-making changes, the ideas that you used to think about become superseded by different ideas, but your movement slows down. If you've ever had a friend who had a baby and you invited them to come to your house for supper, 
And they arrived three hours late because they needed two station wagons just to bring all of the stuff. Those people are living in the reality that when you marry and have children, life becomes slower. Things don't move quite as easily. So build a house, have a family. We don't like where this is going, God. It feels like you're telling us to stay here. Of course, if we're having a family, then, then we got some skin in the game here. All of a sudden, I'm interested in stuff that I wasn't interested in before. You know, going to move to that new city, but now we've got kids. What are the schools like? What are the communities like? What's the healthcare? Different questions start to arise when you start to put down roots. And as a result, God then says to them, seek the peace and prosperity of that city. The, the Hebrew word there, you'll probably know it even without much Hebrew. He said, God literally says, seek the shalom. The Hebrew word shalom, which is perfectly well translated peace, but forces us to think about what do we mean by peace? Because shalom means wholeness, togetherness. As the theologian's Radiohead said, everything in its right place. Shalom is where everything is where it's supposed to be. And God says to these people who are living in tents and wanting to go home, build a house, have a family. And worse than that, I want you to work towards making this place better, making this place less broken, making this place be whole. Give yourself to this place. But not so that you become like it, but so that you start to influence it with the way that God wants us to be. The harsh truth of Jeremiah's message, I think that resonates for us today is that you might never be where you want to be. You might never get things the way that you would like them to be. You're already, you have already been alive for too long to have managed to get everything you want. So your life has brokenness in it. Your life has pain in it. Your life has exile in it. I'm not a mind reader, but I'm certain that every single one of us that are sat in a room here have bits of their life they can point to and say, that there didn't quite go the way that I wanted it to. And even that's true for us as a church. We reflect on 25 years, 25 years with great moments in it, but also 25 years with difficult moments in it. If you've been here for 25 years, there's bits of this story that you won't have liked, bits of this story that have been difficult and painful to you. 25 years, 220 adults and 23 children came into this room in this strange old building and they started a church. But they're not all still here today. Some of them are. Some of them have gone to be with Jesus. Some of them have gone to other churches. Some of them are not following Jesus at all. That wasn't the plan. Nobody sat down and said, let's have a church. Let's make it that some people leave. Let's make it that some people die. Let's make it that some people's lives fall apart. That was never the dream, but it's how it works. And maybe you've been here 25 years, maybe you've been here 15 years, maybe 10, maybe this is your first time here. I can promise you it's going to continue not always being exactly what you liked. Maybe you were here when Tom Morris started the church, this profound, charismatic teacher. Maybe when he left, you were like, ah, you know, that's not great. It's never been as good as when it was when Tom was here. And then Chris came along and he was fantastic and maybe you like him and, and you're thinking, man, it was better when, than when Tom was here, but somebody else is saying, no, no, I think, it was, I think it was better back then. And then now we've got this weird Scottish guy who, like, you know, who knows what went wrong there, but he's here and, you know, hopefully eventually he'll figure out what he's doing. Uh, you know, we, we kind of live in this sort of strange tensions and that's just about who talks on a Sunday, but your friends have moved, your friends have changed. Things change all the time, and we don't always like it. 
But Israel had to learn something from God. Israel, Israel had to learn something about life, which is that it's not always so important where you are. The place that you're in isn't as important as the God who is in that place with you. Israel had to decide whether they were abandoned. Israel had to decide whether they were on their own. And what God says to them is it's not about whether you're rescued or not rescued. It's about the fact that he is there with you in that space and has something that you can do. The key thing is can Israel hold the right attitude to be in that place? See, because we can live in God's will anywhere. Your church can change, your street can change, your family can change, everything can be changed. All the change that you could possibly imagine could come upon you, and you still have a choice to do what God is asking of you. You still have a choice to live that out. You can, you can live God out and bring wholeness to your workplace, to your street, to your community, to your old church that meets in an old curling rink. All of these things don't need to be the thing that stops us from being God's people. Because I, I fundamentally think that what Jeremiah is calling them to is to say that their best life, that how they live their best life isn't based on their circumstance, but it's based on their attitude. But of course, that's not all. Jeremiah then tells them that God says, you need to grow, you need to plant, you need to marry, you need to seek wholeness. He doesn't tell them, start mounting that escape. It's going to come one evening. Everybody will be looking the other way, and you can leave out the back door through the desert. Jeremiah doesn't also tell them, do you know what? You're not getting out of here for a long time, so just become Babylonian. Blend in, learn the accent, figure out the humor, understand their gods, work out how their customs work. And sometimes that's been our choice as Christians. We can either escape, we can live in a little bubble and pretend that everything's going to be okay, and we'll live happy and safe in our, in our little Christian bubbles, or... Let's just become like everybody else. Let's just blend in. And that's a challenge for us as individuals, as Christians, but also as churches. But there's this third way that God grants the people of Israel the authority to influence their city. Seek the wholeness. Seek the peace. Seek the shalom. For me, I, I find this resonates for us as Westside King's Church. I'm new to this story but I have the conversations and I talk and I listen to people and I found it always amazing. We talked about this a little last week about this, this symbol of this upside down crown that we have. This symbol that reminds us that Jesus does things differently. The symbol that reminds us that grace will always do things in a way that we don't quite imagine. And that's been hard for a church to live with because we live in a city. We're influenced so easily by what goes around us. And the challenge for Westside over the 25 years has been a constant one, sometimes up front and sometimes subtle. The challenge has been to try and turn this crown the right way up, to make us more socially acceptable, to make us fit a little bit better, to, to sort of be like everybody else a little bit more. But you cannot change the script of a city. You cannot bring wholeness to a broken situation if you're constantly co-opted by the propaganda of the thing that is broken. And this is why Jeremiah's message isn't figure out what it is to be Babylonian so that you can help them. He says, seek the wholeness of this city. Seek it and find it and help it put itself back together again. So God gives us this authority to live differently, but differently with purpose. Not just different because we want to be weird. Not just different because we're just trying to be out there. Like, where's the, where's the purpose in that? The purpose for this group of people in, in Babylon, as much as the purpose for us here today, is can we live different with purpose? With a purpose that says, 
we want society's story to change. Because nostalgia, yearning for the past, it robs us of the ability to be the type of people who can change something. And perhaps there's the shock that really what Jeremiah is saying in his letter to these people is your exile, you being where you don't want to be, that's going to be good for Babylon because God cares about Babylon too. And for me, I wonder about that. For us as a people, as a community, is our church good for Calgary? Or is our vision just simply that we'd be good for ourselves? Is our vision just that as long as we are here and we're together and we're all kind of semi-enjoying it, that's enough. We'll live with that. Or is it that our vision's bigger than that? Is it that our vision says, what would it look like to be a church that said our purpose and reason to exist as people is because God has happened to put us in this particular story? 25 years after the church started, like if we transplant the story of exile to today, what is God still saying to us? What if God's still saying the same thing? What if God's message to a group of people in exile in Babylon is the same to a group of people on a Sunday morning in Calgary? Seek the wholeness of the place where you are. Like, how would that change the narrative? How would it change the narrative of my life, of your life, if we thought about that the whole time? That the street that I live in, the culture that I'm part of, the communities that I'm involved in, the church that I attend, all of these were places where I sought to bring wholeness. If I have the right attitude, if I understand that that's the authority that God gives us to change and affect a culture. Last week, we, uh, we read this old document that was written earlier in Westside's history. And one of the lines that I read, perhaps you remember it, is it said that Westside is a place of healing. And that's been a beautiful part of our story. Over the 25 years that people have come here and found healing. They found a sense of God putting their life back together. They found shalom. The opposite of brokenness is shalom in the Bible, is wholeness, is peace. But it strikes me that what if we were to turn that around in the next 25 years? What if the question wasn't, can you come here and find healing? But rather the question was that what if Westside was the sort of place that sent out healers? See, because God didn't say to us, hey, I can solve all your problems if you can come to me. But instead, he sent Jesus to us. And Jesus' ministry seems to be kind of predicated on just moving around and putting things back together again, bringing wholeness. Bobby said just two weeks ago in his teaching that we live in liminal space, that we don't actually know what the future is going to look like. Nobody really knows. We know that 25 years ago, a lot has changed, and there's nothing telling us that the change isn't going to continue over the next 25 years. Society has changed as well. And here's what we notice, that culture's changed over the last decades. People aren't looking for a church to go to anymore, generally speaking. You wander into your workplace, it's not full of people thinking, if I just knew of a good church, I'd go there. Perhaps you've noticed that. When you talk to your friends, you say, I'm a Christian. They say, thank goodness, I've been hoping a Christian would come along so that I can repent and come back to God. Like you've noticed, that conversation doesn't happen very often. But if our whole strategy as a church and as a people is, if I can just get people to come to church so they can find Jesus and find wholeness, our strategy is going to fail if people aren't looking to do that. But what if we seek the welfare where we are? What if we seek the wholeness where we are? Notice that that's exactly the word that God says to them, seek. You've got to find it. You've got to look it out. It's not our role as a community to assume that everybody that's broken will come here and find God's wholeness. 
Rather, what, what, do, what do we do if we carry it? What does it look like for us to take it to those places? And notice this, just as we come towards the end this morning. Notice that Jeremiah isn't proclaiming a national vision for Israel. Notice that he isn't putting together a corporate strategy for how the nation will work in Babylon. He's actually talking to the individuals. You have to build a house. You have to start a family. You have to seek wholeness. It's not a corporate message. It's a message to individuals. How do you become a person of wholeness? How do you become a peace bringer? How do you become a shalom creator? And I think that's much bigger than just services on a Sunday or studies on a Wednesday. To me, that's about how we're going to live out the fabric of our lives in lives which ourselves, we'd admit to, aren't always the way that we'd imagined. But there is a purpose to all of this challenge. The challenge that Jeremiah throws to his people, which we hopefully can take for today, is that you may be in exile. You may not have the life that you want. Life may not have worked out and panned out the way you expected it. Maybe you never wanted to come to Westside King's Church. Maybe you never wanted to live in the street that you live in. Maybe you never wanted to live in Calgary, but for whatever reason, here you are. And the question is, can you seek the wholeness here? And here's why it matters. Because our children are going to live here. Because your friends' children are going to live here. Because our, the children on our street are going to live here. And their children potentially too. And the question for Jeremiah to the people of Israel was, what do you want it to be like? What do you imagine it to be like? He's not talking about them in the here and now. He's asking them to look beyond where they are. 25 years, 50 years into the future, 70 years from now, and say, what do we want Calgary to be like? And that seems huge. But it's actually, in Jeremiah's mind, built on a very simple premise. That God has called us to be people who would seek wholeness. Not just for ourselves as a community but for every life that we find ourselves interacting with.